0: This morning, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the first seven verses of the love chapter from 1 Corinthians 13. You probably heard it before because maybe you heard it at your own wedding. The Apostle Paul writes this, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth and always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is God's word. Well, you know, we don't typically think all that much about how our love stories will affect our children or our church or our community or even our world, but they do. Marriage matters. It's worth living for. It's worth working for. How do you want it to go for you? What's it going to look like in the end? I read somewhere that the most important day of your marriage is the last day. And I think what that's getting at is for a couple to kind of look at how they're going to finish and then work backwards by doing the things that will ultimately get them there. Do you know how you want it to go? Can you picture it? I can I want an old love marriage. That's worth striving for. I get inspired when I see an old love marriage, I do. In fact, for several years I've kept these pictures and the three that will follow in my own personal file and I look at them from time to time. Old love marriages are inspiring. You look at an old love couple and it's beautiful. Their hands are weathered, but still joined together. Their faces have more wrinkles, but that's good. Those lines mean something. They've come through uh, good times and through tough times, but they're still radiant with a smile for one another. Arms and legs maybe don't move like they used to, but they can still dance. Their hearts may become physically tired at times, but still strong with love and devotion for one another. I want that. I bet you do, too. The question is, how do we get there? And I believe the answer could be summed up in one word, friendship. That's what we're covering today, marriage as friendship, spending time together and doing life together and making memories and being a good listener and, you know, just keep growing old and taking care of one another and being honest and forgiving and submitting to one another. comes down to friendship because that's what friends do. Husbands and wives who want their marriages to be lasting and endearing and strong must be friends. John Gottman, one of the most respected sociologists who studies the subject of marriage said this, that happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this I mean a mutual respect and enjoyment for each other's company. They have an abiding regard for each other and often express this fondness, not just in big ways, but in little ways, day in and day out. Friendship matters. The key to a great marriage is always to be working on friendship because life gets busy. Bills to pay and a house to keep up and children to raise and parties to plan and events to attend and all that stuff that needs to get done gets done best when you're working on it with a friend. And so you need friendship and marriage. And if you're not married and would like to be someday, then start looking for a friend to marry. If you're going to marry someone, Marry someone who is currently, or who has the potential to be, your very best friend. Someone who gets you. Someone who likes you. Someone you see yourself solving problems with. Look for a friend to marry. Typically, we don't do that. Tim Keller writes, typically, we eliminate potential spouses, wonderful people, because of physical attractiveness. Or we find someone who checks all the boxes of looks and romance, and then we kind of hope that we'll grow into a friendship, because hey, you already have lots of other friends that you can do the friend stuff with, but this is a a big mistake. After all, good looks are gonna go away. So pick someone with great eyes. Because that's about the only part that won't change. Besides, in the end, you're going to look like each other anyway. Uh, so get this. Get the order straight. Don't start. Don't start with sexual attractiveness. No. Start with friendship. Marriage as friendship is basically. It's not. Excuse me. Not basically romance, flavored with friendship, but rather it's friendship flavored with romance. Unfortunately, most of the love stories in pop culture don't point us in this direction. The modern definition of love is kind of like a a ditch that you fall into. (laughs) You never saw it coming, and then wham, you fall in love. It's uh, like a virus that you catch, and that's why so many don't get married. They're waiting for a love virus to infect them or a love ditch to fall into. They're waiting for a feeling when they should be looking for a friend. And keep in mind, you're never going to marry the perfect person. You won't find them. Do not underestimate that whoever you marry will be broken by sin, just like you. See, marriage is basically the attempt to bring two flawed people together in order to work at, trying to create love and stability and togetherness. And good looks don't get that job done. But friendship will. I'll reference Tim Keller again. Find someone of the opposite sex who you are great friends with. How can you tell if this person is the person, though? You can tell by seeing if you agree on the really, really important stuff, the concrete stuff. Do you agree on the absolutes? Do your values line up? Does your faith life line up? Does this person want you to be holy? If so, proceed and find out if this person smiles at the same things you smile at. Do, do you laugh at the same stuff? Do you, you simply enjoy their company? Do you feel a little bit better when they walk in the room? Find someone you can be great friends with. Now, if you're already married and maybe you're wondering how to how to get that, because you didn't marry your friend. You married because everyone else said that you make a great-looking couple, or you married because she was a hottie, or he was a hunk, or had this great job. And but you didn't marry for friendship. You didn't even think about that. And now it's too late. You're married, but you tell all your secrets to your girlfriend, not your husband. You're married but you like to hang out with your buddies and really don't like to hang out with your wife. And so you're thinking, it's too late. It's not too late. Here's what you do. You decide that you're going to make this person that you married your friend. You choose. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's what friendship looks like, that's what Jesus looks like. And I spent a lot of time on this last week, but just as a reminder that you're going to need to hang around Jesus in order to best pull this off. Love always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Protect, trust, hope, persevere. You make a choice. Choose to protect choose to trust, choose to hope, choose to persevere. That's what happy couples know and do. They choose to do that. They make the happier choice. Okay, what do I mean? What do I mean? Happy, old, love, friendship, marriages choose to believe the best rather than assume the worst. That's what friends do. That's what great friends do. They give each other the benefit of the doubt. Andy Stanley has some great insight here, and this is how he sets it up. On the far end, the red box there, we have our expectations, the things that we expect from our spouse. Maybe they were never even spoken. Maybe they were. But maybe expectations of your spouse and what they said they were going to do or what they were not going to do, or what you thought they were going to do, but things that you were counting on, expectations. On the other end is experience, and this here is reality. You expected one thing, but it turned out differently. They said they'd be home by six, but they're not home yet. And so there's a gap between expectations and experience. The question is, how are you going to bridge the gap? What will you fill it with? You have a choice. You can believe the best or you can assume the worst. Whatever you decide to bridge the gap with will greatly impact the relationship. Do you believe the best or assume the worst? Here's what happy couples know. They are in the habit of Believing the best. They choose to protect, to trust, to hope, to persevere. Believe the best or assume the worst. Believing the best means you choose. You decide before you get the whole story to take the most positive view of your spouse. Come up with the most generous way to put the best construction on it. He must not have known how much that actually makes me feel and hurts me or else he wouldn't have done it. She's not intentionally trying to get me upset. I bet that she had a pretty lousy day too. Just look for the most generous explanation. Not an excuse, but an explanation. You choose to believe the best, or you fill in the gap by assuming the worst, which is not a happy choice, by the way. Assuming the worst means you delight in uncovering faults, thrive on speculation, embrace doubts, keep a record of wrongs, he did it again. She's always trying to pick fights. No, always protect, trust, hope, persevere. Now this doesn't mean you don't have difficult conversations. This does not mean ignoring her feelings. No, it just means honest and careful conversation in order to make each other holy. This is one of the very best benefits of being married, making one another holy. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to Make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Your spouse can do that for you. Remember, the two shall become one flesh. You and your spouse are one body. And so, your wife can help knock the dirt off you. Your husband can help clean you up. But this is more of a bubble bath than a harsh scrubbing. Gently. You take care of scrapes gently, not with a fire hose. Have you ever noticed how gently you treat your own body? You clean your own body. It's a private thing. You brush your teeth, but you're you're very careful as you do that. You trim your fingernails very carefully, very slowly. You don't jam Q-tips in your ears. (laughs) Now, when you get married, your spouse has that kind of access to you and I wanna give props again to Tim Keller for this. He says when you get married, your, your spouse has that kind of access to you. Your spouse will see and take part in the cleaning and removing of your dirt, and we're not talking physical dirt here. Your spouse cleanses you by being there and dealing with the private you, your moodiness and sullenness, and your negativity. You see, the public you keeps all of that grumpiness and fear and impatience and that critical nature in check in front of everyone else. But at home, your spouse sees the dirt. They know the real you. Your spouse knows the private you. And they say, We're together in this, for better, for worse. The two are one. (laughs) We're together in the worries, and fears, and disappointments, and grumpiness, and, and they don't leave. They persevere. They're still with you. That's being a friend. And a friend will not leave the other unclean. No. You clean them up, but carefully. You say things, you, you point things out in order to try to help. You gently point out the sins. Gently helping one another with the sins. And, and really only friends can do that. Friends wash each other up. They deal gently with the sin That's one part, you clean the body up, but there's another part, and you need both to have a friendship marriage, or at least a friendship for sure. You also need to feed and care for the body. So you clean, and you also feed and care in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Care for your spouse. Feed your spouse. Look for all that is good in your spouse, and then you call it out. You affirm it works. If your spouse tells you you're gorgeous, you're gorgeous. No matter how you feel, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what the culture says, no matter what the advertisement says, your spouse tells you you're beautiful, and you are. If your spouse tells you, I think you're great. When was the last time you told your spouse that? I think you're great. Watch me have a heart attack. You're someone I admire. Oh, that works. It doesn't matter what your parents said. It doesn't matter what your so-called friends said. It doesn't matter what your coworker or your boss said. You see, people tend to believe what they're told about themselves for better and for worse. But a husband's word or a wife's word carries the most clout. You can actually reprogram your spouse by feeding and caring for them in a way that nobody else can. Because you, husband, and you, wife, you hold more authority. You have the most human of anybody else in the whole wide world to completely turn negativity around. You have the ability to redeem, to restore, to nourish and care through that kind of friendship. And this works. And the reason we know that this works is because that is what Christ has done for us. Jesus is the ultimate friend the ultimate redeemer, the ultimate restorer, and he is so gentle with you. Oh, for sure, he will tell you your faults, but it is only to make you better. It's only to draw you closer to him. It's only to make you holy, and he overcomes your heart because You can see how much he loves you. He calls you great. He calls you his treasure. You look at the cross. Beautiful time in Lent almost forces us to look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Keep looking at the cross. I'm going to close with this. It's a story I've shared at weddings, oh, at least 20 times for the last 20 years, probably because it's just one of my favorite stories. I, I love weddings. The radiant bride, the handsome groom, standing side by side, looking up at the cross. And, and then I, I ask the congregation, I say, can there be anything more beautiful than this, this young love? And then I answer the question by saying, yes. There is one more beautiful thing, and that is old love. And then I tell this old love, marriage is friendship kind of story about a couple who just celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, and they are a beautiful couple. They laugh. They enjoy life. They enjoy their marriage, and they play this game with one another. And the game that they play is called schmilly. And they played it for over 50 years of marriage. And they keep on playing this game. And here's how the game works. What they do is they write the word shmily and they hide it in different places throughout the house. And it's a gift that they kind of give one another. And sometimes a, a, just a little note is placed in a coat pocket. Or, uh, and it, that note just has one word on it, S-H-M-I-L-Y. And other times, you coming out of the shower, the mirror gets all steamed up like it does. And there it is, that same word, S-H-M-I-L-Y. And one time, I'm not sure if he did it or she did it, but one of them unrolled the whole roll of toilet paper and wrote S-H-M-I-L-Y in the very last sheet and then carefully rolled it all back up so their spouse would eventually find it. Schmilly is their game. And I'll tell you, my wife and I also play the game. We play the game. Just a text and it just says, really, yeah, maybe it's a game you might want to pick up. it this week, for sure. Now, of course, you're going to need to know what Shmili means, and some of you maybe do. Shmili is an acronym, which stands for See How Much I Love You. You see, that's exactly what our Lord has spelled out for you. He has spelled it out for you everywhere he went. Look, go to Bethlehem and see. Go to Galilee. Go to Jerusalem. Oh, and you can see how much he loves you. Go to Jesus, and you go to the cross, and you will see there especially how much he loves you. And one day, one day you'll go to heaven, and you'll be missed here, but you'll go and you will completely see how much he loves you. Jesus, your friend, your old love, may your last day, be your best day in life, in love, in marriage, and in Christ. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our one true love.